Reasonableist podcast here at the Athletic Toronto. I'm your host Blake Murphy. Joining me from Miami, Eric Green. Eric, uh, what are you doing inside right now? It's 11 in the morning on a Monday. It's ostensibly warm there. Get out, hit the beach, pop that top off. <laughs> well, you know it, it's so breezy here the last day and and this morning. Like picture this. Yesterday, I couldn't even go in the ocean. I had to settle for a walk barefoot on the beach, like some sort of, you know, like that's a defeat of some sort. And then I had to wear like a light hoodie while I was on a patio with the ocean behind me. Uh, it's just pure misery here, Blake. It's amazing that you've been able to persevere. Yeah, I mean, I'm made of sturdy stuff, and I'd like to credit my parents for that. Uh, who have been through a lot in their lives and certainly passed that, you know, head down, grinded out mentality. Uh, and I'm, I'm doing my best to make them proud, really. On top of which, you declined to get a haircut. And based on the uh, the selfie that you posted on Instagram, your hair is holding up just fine to the heat. Yeah. Um, again, it does not feel like it's not like it's super humid right now. Uh, so that is one, that is some solace I can take out of this uh, truly awful uh, maybe 24 hours to start this trip so far. Yeah, the only the only people who may be facing more adversity than you right now are Toronto Raptors. But they're the only ones. They're the only ones. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The Toronto Raptors, by the way, who are in Miami right now, um, they with three days off between games, they flew to Miami. They'll practice two days there before continuing on the road trip, which takes them to New Orleans. Uh, Atlanta, and then back to Miami on Saturday. Also joining them uh, Sunday night was Jared Sollinger. They were posting some photos out from a team dinner, and Sollinger was with them. I had no idea he was in Miami. Uh, big move imminent here, Eric. Jared Sollinger back to the Raptors? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> they, do, uh, they do suddenly have a need at small forward that Jared Sollinger could not fill. Yeah, therefore, I don't think so. It's nice that they're all still friends, though. Well, he's a good guy. He's a fun guy to be around. Seems I that mean, way. He had a certain joie de vivre that uh, the Raptors could use right now, maybe. You didn't see him scooting along the beach while you were out for a walk? Uh, no, no. Lamentably so. I, I, was, I was a bit up from South Beach proper. Ah. Uh, not taking in the party scene as I, uh, as I should, which I, you know, I imagine you're confounded by that. Why... I wouldn't be right in the middle of things uh, since that's my MO. Yeah, I thought you'd have a fruity drink. You'd just be wandering around, wooing and wooing, meaning like woo, not not wooing people. Yeah, I, I have never once wooed people. Uh, so I mentioned the small forward thing. The Toronto Raptors, uh, while they're in Miami, one of the only storylines to watch really is the status of Damari Carroll. You haven't been to practice yet. We're recording this before practice Monday. Damari Carroll sprained his left ankle in the third quarter of Saturday night's loss. Uh, obviously, with Kyle Lowry already injured, the Raptors can ill afford to lose anyone else. The fact that it's Damari Carroll and it's a lower body injury perhaps lends additional concern. Uh, before we get into talking about how the Raptors have played without Kyle Lowry, I feel like we should tackle Carroll off the top. Um, did you get a sense at all that this is a serious thing? Is it just, 
you know, it was obvious he wasn't coming back in that game, so let's just rule him out right out of the gate. How worried should, what, what should the concern level be with Damari Carroll suffering a sprained ankle? Well, it's an ankle sprain, so as I think everybody knows who follows basketball, it could be any number of things, right? Like, he can be back in a few few days, a few games, or it could be a high ankle sprain, and we could be looking at something much, much worse. Like, a high ankle sprain is, you know, pretty much in terms of the timeline, generally the equivalent to Kyle Lowry's wrist surgery uh, from, I think that's that's mostly accurate. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, it could yeah. go a lot of it could go a lot of different ways, and Mari so, Carroll certainly seemed like he knew he was hurt right away. Yeah, and he was sort of, and again, this is speculation based on you know uh, thirty seconds of observation observation on on television, uh, and I was not in Milwaukee, so can't report from there. Uh, but it did look like he was grabbing a bit higher on his ankle than you'd expect. Now that might mean nothing; it might mean something. Uh, also limp to the locker room on his own, which yeah. if you're looking for context clues is maybe okay. Yeah, but, you know, this is the sort of injury that you get a much better idea probably the days that follow, not immediately. So uh, you'll report back after practice on Monday. Yeah, do you want to just add, like, a, a two-minute clip of me at the end saying, they didn't tell us anything, I don't know. Yeah, like, and what, even what? if they told us anything, can we really believe them? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's a that's a thirty minute pod of its of its own. I believe uh, it was last week's pod. <laughs> uh, so last week's pod, obviously the big so, news. Uh, last, sorry, go ahead. I do think it's concerning in general not having him. Uh, I mean, for obvious reasons. I mean, PJ Tucker has talked a number of times already about how much uh, I don't want to say fun, but how right it feels playing defense next to Damari Carroll, who's been in those like. When they've won, he's been, for the most part, I don't think he was on the floor of the Washington game, but in the other wins, he was on the floor sort of switching with P.J. Tucker, or switching with Ibaka when necessary, and it uh, it came together in these sort of uh, defensive lineups that had a lot of versatility. And without him, no matter how spotty his shooting is and no matter how few shooting attempts He's getting, and I'm sure we'll get to that in the offense in general. Uh, he's a very useful piece. And, you know, the idea behind Masai Jerry's trades at the deadline was to create depth around around these stars that you have. And now one of the stars is out. And if Carroll is out for any amount of time, sure, P.J. Tucker and Norman Powell, it's nice to have them. And, and there could be, a you know, a more significant injury, like an injury to DeMar DeRozan or Serge Ibaka would be worse obviously at this point but every little piece of depth that you're losing now matters on top of which Demari Carroll he's only shot 21 percent from three uh since the all-star break but the Raptors are seriously thin on shooting and outside of Ibaka Carroll has their longest track record of being a three-point threat so you take him away these offensive issues that we've seen which weirdly enough like like qualitatively objectively the Raptors offense has really looked like it's been struggling since the all-star break they're still putting up 108 points per 100 possessions this offense is still rolling we're going to talk about it in a little bit um but DeMar Carroll taking another shooter away from this rotation would be difficult because PJ Tucker can knock them down at you know a little below average clip Norman Powell is probably settling in somewhere around average once the sample gets large enough uh, and this team's already hard up for shooting. And you mentioned the defensive switchability in those closing lineups. Uh, nice to see Norman Powell close it out Friday in Damari Carroll's spot, so you can you know you can trust him a little bit in those smaller lineups. But yeah, the uh, 
you know, you lose a star player and then you start thinning out the depth. Not great. Yeah, it's just, again, Ujiri's moves were designed for one thing and things happen in the NBA and you have to learn how to roll with them. So uh, I don't want to say no excuses because I think that's a pretty silly mindset to be in, but things do happen and this is putting the Raptors even further, uh, maybe not further behind the eight ball, closer to behind the eight ball. You don't want to be too, wherever it's bad to be behind the eight ball, that's where the Raptors are trending in terms of uh, roster availability. All right. Um, one other thing that Damari Carroll, say, assume Damari Carroll misses Wednesday, which again, we don't have an indication he will, but with an ankle sprain and, you know, the Wednesday's game being followed by a Friday, Saturday back-to-back, they're probably not going to push it. Um, one thing it may stand to do, and this was going to be a talking point before Damari Carroll's injury anyway, if the Raptors are limited in the amount of time that they can downsize, which they would be without Carroll because they're down to then two point guards and three or three point guards, really only two they trust to play at the same time, and then three wings, uh, they might go smaller a little less. They've been playing small, basically the maximum you can imagine the Raptors playing small. That has meant a minimized role for Jonas Valanciunas, who has been, uh, you know, who has stumbled into a slump at probably the worst possible time over the last six games since the All-Star break, averaging just 19 minutes, a big whopping zero in the fourth quarter. Uh, he has had the worst plus-minus on the team, short of Lucas Nogueira, who's only played seven minutes. Is or would like Valanciunas needs to bounce back on his own, regardless. And he's going to continue to start and get a couple of touches to try to get him going in that regard. He is shooting 66% since the All-Star break uh, on limited touches. But would a Carroll injury force Dwayne Casey to play to go back to playing some more traditional lineups and maybe you know give Valanciunas additional leash by necessity? I think maybe you see that a bit. But you still, of course, have Patrick Patterson, who they really haven't used that often. Uh, he also hasn't been particularly yeah, good out of the break. If you want to go, if you're on, like, if you're ranking players Dwayne Casey trusts, he's probably still above Jonas Valanciunas. So I think that would be the tweak that would be coming uh, perhaps before Jonas starts jumping up to 25 or 30 minutes a game again. Uh, But it's really what's what's working. Like, we haven't, we've seen that Dwayne Casey isn't afraid to just grasp at straws here, you know, the the two emergency Fred Van Vliet uh, appearances speak to that, uh, which he's been very good in, in both of those instances, I should point out. Uh, but whoever whoever delivers for this team is going to get an immediate shot at playing because there are only X number of options and X keeps shrinking. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas has, I thought the two games against Washington were uh, just bad, bad games and you know, you sort of remember how much he was obliterated in that series by uh, Marcin Gortat uh, two or uh, almost three playoffs ago now once the playoffs start. Um, and he just has these defensive limitations that we all know about that he does not appear any closer to figuring out. And, you know, they still, with Ibaka and Tucker and Patterson, have far more options up front uh, than they did before the trade. So I, I think he'll get a chance and he'll continue to get that chance, but I don't think the Carroll injury necessarily means that uh, 
the opportunity is going to grow that much bigger, maybe a, a little bit bigger. But I still think Dwayne Casey will uh, opt for other options unless Valanciunas shows he deserves more of those minutes, which he hasn't. Interesting three games coming up for Valanciunas, too, because New Orleans on Wednesday presents Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, who are difficult checks for anyone, but you know those are guys that could bring Jonas away from the rim a little bit. And then Friday, Saturday, Dwight Howard and Hassan Whiteside, guys who on paper are the type of player he should be able to bang with and matchups that are in his favor, and he, he obviously played very well against Hassan Whiteside in the playoffs last year. Uh, so kind of an important three games for him here. Yeah, for sure. Um, as, as you mentioned, uh, we're still not totally sure what the Pelicans look like with, with Davis and Cousins, but it will be complicated. But you certainly don't want Ibaka logging all these minutes banging against Whiteside and Dwight Howard. Like, he's already being stretched uh, pretty, pretty far. Uh, so if you can avoid that to the uh, to some extent, you gotta you got to hope that Valentinus is the guy who steps in. I mean, not to be, he's getting paid this much money, he has to get through, but like they paid him that money because they, they knew or at least hoped that there would be a role for him. And if there's not a role for him in those, in that back to back, then uh, you start to get really worried about, you know, what his role is, even if he is traded in the offseason, which well, we don't, we don't have to talk about now, but you, you start to wonder who is this guy in this league, you know? You do wonder that. You wonder that quite often. And you look around and you see in the Milwaukee game, Greg Monroe came off the bench. You look at OKC and Ennis Cantor coming off the bench. You see these kind of similarly limited players. And you eventually start to wonder if Jonas Valanciunas might be best served coming off the bench. Uh, that's probably a topic for another day, though, because that's a much deeper discussion. Um, you you don't see that. Like, Dwayne Casey's been pretty clear that any changes um, are going to come with how he's rotating guys and the substitution patterns. He's not... Even though the starting lineup hasn't been good together, you don't get a feeling that he's going to make a change there, do you? Uh, Assuming Carroll's healthy? Not imminently. I don't think so. Uh, I think Valanciunas is a guy... Like, we shouldn't underscore... I mean, we should we should underscore how much this guy wants it. And I think he's probably a bit fragile is the wrong word, but he's really frustrated with how things are going right now. Yeah, he's a guy who, despite the, you know, I, I understand fans getting angry at his inconsistencies and his limitation, but Valanciunas very much, like, his give-a-shit meter is pretty high, generally, uh, despite what some people seem to think. Uh, defensive yeah. limitations, not effort-based. Yeah, uh, so I don't think they're going to risk, at least right now, uh, you know, making him more unsure of himself taking him more out of his comfort zone. Uh, I think they're going to try to give him a bit more of a chance to bounce back in the same role he's had for the better part of five years and uh, and go from there. Yeah, plus, you know, Hassan Whiteside. It, it, that's that's going to be the slump buster right there. Hey, remember how well you played against this guy in the playoffs? There you go. Get back again. after it. Do it again. Yeah, plus Ibaka's already averaging over 35 minutes since joining the Raptors, which... Uh, you know, you pro- you're probably at the at the limit of how much you can extend him and how much you can play small anyway. Yeah, so, again, the extension comes from Patterson if yes. that happens, right? Like yeah. Patterson. Patterson's only played 20 minutes a game right now. Yeah, Patterson starts and Valanciunas is the first big off the bench, which, you know, isn't a, a luck in theory that I hate, but uh, I just don't see it happening right now. Yeah, on paper, I mean, especially if you look at some of the potential matchups in the first round of the playoffs, um, which you can't 
do yet. Uh, I guess we could talk about that because we could talk about how they play without Kyle Lowry, so we'll double back to that in a sec. Um, I mean, the most likely matchup would be, right now, looks to be Atlanta, though, and then you'd want Valanciunas in there opposite Dwight Howard anyway. So yeah. um, sometimes maybe overthinking things uh, in response to shorter-term blips. There's more evidence that Valanciunas is better than this, than that he is this bad. Yeah, although this is, you know, the second time this year we've had a sort of Jonas, yes. Jonas panic conversation. So, uh, yep. Uh, and there have certainly been ones in years past. So let's let's not just brush by it either. You know, there is he has legitimate flaws and limitations to his game, and they aren't going away, and that's a problem. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so far, though. You know, look, the problem is also it's a it's poorly timed with Kyle Lowry out. Yeah. The Raptors are 4-2. But also probably not a total coincidence. Probably you know? not, no. Um, <laughs> you know, people have been very upset at the lack of ball movement of late. The Raptors' assist rate is um, down fairly low since Kyle Lowry hit the shelf, which shouldn't be surprising to anyone. They're not hitting threes particularly well. Jonas Valanciunas isn't getting the ball in great positions. Despite all of this, the Raptors are 4-2 and two since the All-Star break without Kyle Lowry, 5-2 and two without him overall. Plus 2.7 net rating over those six games since the break. Eric, have the Raptors outperformed your expectation in this first two weeks without Kyle Lowry? I think overall, you know, you look at the teams they've beat. The Boston game without Lowry, you sort of expect, I would have expected a loss there. And then in Washington, I would have expected a loss there. Now, maybe in my mind, I'd expect them to beat Washington on a back-to-back at home. But overall, from a, just a record standpoint, I think for sure. I mean, this is this is your, if not your best player. I mean, he is their best player. But if you want to get into a pissing match about that, about that, your oh, most do I? Yeah, your most important player in terms of raising the level of play of his teammates, and he's not there. And they've managed to scrap out some games. And yeah, like. You can worry about DeRozan's performance in those four wins being completely completely unsustainable. And in the losses, like we've seen what, what happens when he is relatively neutralized. They lose, and they lose. You know, the Milwaukee loss wasn't maybe an emphatic loss, but after the first quarter, they were the inferior team by quite a margin. Uh, I think there were a lot of signs in that game not again, not a, an excuse, but the way they were closing out and letting like blow buys happen, it looked like the January Raptors. Like the the defense that they have shown at times uh, in this in this uh, post All Star stretch was just not there. So that leads sixth sixth game in nine nights. So that sort of believes leads me to believe that maybe fatigue was a part of that loss, and hopefully these. Three nights in South Beach should uh, should have them refreshed. But I'm, uh, definitely overall, I mean, the style points have been low. Uh, but overall, that they've definitely outperformed what I thought they would do. Yeah, you mentioned the defense, and it's been spotty and inconsistent. But they've, you know, the four games they've won, they closed out with solid defense. A, a 105.4 defensive rating over these six games, which when you look at the fact that Boston and Washington twice were in that stretch, uh, and Milwaukee is a top t- is was came in uh, Saturday ranked 11th in offense. So you have, you know, you played against four pretty good offenses, and and that 105.4 D rating, much better than the rating the Raptors have had for most of the season. Uh, So P.J. Tucker, Serge Ibaka, and a general change in kind of the urgency they've played with. 
uh, you know, it's upticked in that direction. Obviously, the offense is going to sputter a little bit. Um, let's talk briefly about the ball movement. It's been an issue. You mentioned DeRozan has to basically be Hercules for them to pull out wins right now. Uh, without that extra ball handler and playmaker on the floor, and, you know, no disrespect to Corey Joseph, but he's not Kyle Lowry. Um, what Do you see anything the Raptors could be doing differently or should try to tweak schematically? Or is this kind of the formula where DeRozan is amazing, one or two role players step up every night, and the defensive intensity is just ratcheted up and... You know, you hope that those one or two role players step up at, at opportune times because it's just not going to get prettier until Kyle Lowry gets back. Well, I sort of I want to turn that question back to you a little bit because no, nah, no, nah, I'm the host here. Yeah, well, yeah, and I'm the guest, and you let the guest do whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> okay. Um, and so let's let's think back to that 35 point quarter at the beginning of the game against Washington, and like the play that stands out to me is that P.J. Tucker layup that was just, you know, side-to-side penetration kick uh, that ends with a, a Tucker layup that... Off a is, nice cut, too, right? That yes, one where he cuts middle? Yes, plays of the year. Now, obviously, you can't necessarily draw up a play like that because it does not account for Washington biting the number of times they bit on pump fakes or closeouts or, like, just making irresponsible closeouts. But at that moment, and who was on the floor, Wright, Patterson, Tucker, DeRozan was not. Um, but at that moment, it looked like this team was capable of, of doing something a bit more, and of keeping the ball moving, and of making incisive and decisive uh, efforts toward the rim that draw help. And they had, I think, what, 10 assists in that first quarter? I don't remember what the number was. Uh, so it looked at times like they can be. And, of course, you can draw up plays that have more cuts drawn into them. Uh, but I sort of think, in general, there's only so much Dwayne Casey can do with this roster. Where do you land on it? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much with you. They don't have, you know, they have guys who can attack a closeout, make a step in and make the right pass. They have guys who are willing to pass. Uh, but the amount of attention that DeMar DeRozan is going to command and the amount that Corey Joseph's going to command relative to what he's used to, there's only so many ways you can initiate the offense. And the Raptors have, they've leaned on their motion sets a lot more since Lowry's been out, which is nice and it, it changes things up a little bit, but it also eats shot clock time to where, you know, Jonas Valanciunas takes 16 seconds to establish post position against Marcin Gortat or something like that. Um, so I think, you know, I, I think, the big, a big part of adding Abaka and Tucker and, you know, Damari Carroll and Patrick Patterson when they're out there, those are smart players who are at least going to look to make the smart plays. And, and that Tucker cut came off of several guys passing up, you know, what would have been mediocre looks to try to find a better one. It's kind of that always searching for a better shot mentality that you see in Golden State and Cleveland um, to an extreme degree. You're not going to get that from the Raptors all the time. But I think, you know, as they get familiar with each other, as these kind of Carroll cuts and, and Tucker cuts become more regular, guys will look for it more. And I think that can kind of snowball a little bit. Uh, but the Raptors are who they are. And even with Kyle Lowry, the ball movement isn't terrific. And that's what, like they have the lowest assist rate in the league with them. Right? Yeah, exactly. And he's, you know, he's your best driving kick guy. And he's your best uh, uh, spacing threat when DeMar DeRozan's breaking a guy down. So you take that out. It's not, there is no path to this being pretty. And, I get that people don't like the lack of ball movement. It looks sticky, and it looks like guys aren't doing a lot sometimes, but you also have to recognize the personnel, and right now they need DeRozan to score 30 or 35, and a lot of that's going to come from 
you know, pre-attack action that tries to get him a mismatch, and then guys spot up. Um, yeah. They can do a better job of it, but they're not going to change who they are without the one guy who has the skill set that would help change who they are. Yeah, I guess the simplest way I can put it is you have a lot of guys who can, like you alluded to, who can take a pass, attack a closeout, and make the next pass. They are short or without the guy who creates that, you know, situation yeah. where someone's running out at a shooter. It's almost uh, like the roster is built around having DeMar Rosa and Kyle Lowry. Yeah, yeah. And that's how the NBA works. You get good players and you find players who fit around that. And we think Messiah Jerry has done that. There is just a sample size of zero games to prove it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's an interesting thing, and we talked about it a little bit last week, is that Lowry's injury, one of the trickle-down effects is that even if he comes back and he gets, you know, say he gets two or three games in uh, at the end of the year to work his wrist back into shape or whatever, um, he is not going to have a lot of time with the Baca and Tucker. He, The Raptors aren't going to have a lot of time to figure out their rotations uh, the best way because it's not as simple as Lowry slides into Joseph's spot, Joseph slides into Wright's spot because Lowry and Joseph play together a lot more than uh, Joseph and Wright have played together or Joseph Wright and Ben Fleet have played together. So um, there's a bit of a cost to the injury there. The more obvious cost right now, the way things are shaping up in the Eastern Conference appears to be that the Raptors most likely outcome when I look at um, where everyone stands and the remaining schedules the Raptors are in fourth place in the Eastern Conference right now. They're only a game back of Washington and only three back of Boston. They own the tiebreaker over each of those teams. And Washington has a tougher schedule the rest of the way. But the Raptors are without Kyle Lowry. And, and we can only, until we hear otherwise, we kind of have to assume they're without Lowry until the season's over. Or at least without Lowry at 100% until the season's over. Um, if the Raptors were to go 500 from here, they'd probably finish fourth in the Eastern Conference. Which means Cleveland in the second round of the playoffs. Eric, do you think that... That the specter of the Cavs in the second round instead of the third round is something that's on the mind of the Raptors, or are they just are so focused on getting right right now and surviving the Lowry injury that they're going to deal with whatever comes to them in the playoffs? Are they pushing for the three seed, or is this full-on survival mode for these guys? Uh, I think it's closer to survival mode, like cliche, but you take it one game at a time and you see where things fall at the end, like. What can they do other than that to control things? I, I don't think it's going to make them try any any harder to know that they have to, you know, try and and get up in the seating to avoid Cleveland uh, because that would assume they're tr they would try less otherwise. Uh, I, I think it's an interesting thing, expectations and perspective. Because if the Ra if Kyle Lowry comes back, the Raptors look really good in the first round and then like push Cleveland as much as they might have pushed them in the conference finals, in the conference semifinals, is that a disappointing year? Like I would I would hope not. No, uh, it's kind and, of the same outcome, yeah, just yeah, a like, little less playoff revenue. Yeah, and that's I, the thing, right? Because the Raptors were always going to measure themselves. Like, yeah, the Eastern Conference Finals is one barometer, but their progress was kind of going to be measured against how they like how they played against the Cavs. Yes. Like so the first two rounds, they could, they could they could win the first two rounds in ugly seven-game series again or sweep the first two rounds, and they'd still kind of be measured by what they did against Cleveland. Yeah. So if and when the Cleveland series comes, I think, as you say, that's how you judge them. And because of the Lowry injury, there's it's going to be more complicated. Like 
this team just wasn't together. You know, they, let's say they get swept or something, or let's say they lose the first in the first round to Atlanta. You know, you can say, well, Lowry just wasn't there. There was no time uh, to for the team to come together. And then how do you judge that if you're Masai Ujiri? How do you judge that if you're the fans? It becomes a really tough thing. So I think that's almost more interesting to me than the seeding is like what happens if they do stay in fourth and they just never get it rolling? Like you can't isolate all these variables. Like that's sort of Masai Ujiri's job and he's going to have to try to do that. And there will just be so little evidence to base a decision in this scenario on that you're really going to have to, uh, it's going to be a lot of guesswork, frankly, if, if that is, if that doomsday scenario does play out. Uh, I find that a fascinating hypothetical and hopefully we don't get there. Hopefully wherever they finish, they can win a round and that if it's Cleveland, they push them and, and maybe, you know, don't get blown off the floor four times as they did uh, last year, and you can consider it con- success, and you can see a way forward with uh, this core, you know, you're not going to bring back everybody probably, but much as it is, but uh, or with a lot of consistency. But if you don't, how do you make those calls? It becomes a very interesting uh, question, and again, maybe we don't get there. Well, yeah, and it's not even how do you make those calls, because the question might be, do you even get the opportunity to make those calls? Because before Masai Ujiri makes decisions about whether this core can compete, Kyle Lowry has to make decisions about whether this core can compete. Yeah, absolutely. And I uh, think that's that's kind of an understated thing where, you know, everyone kind of assumes Lowry's going to stay because DeRozan stayed and because the money, it's going to make sense. If the Raptors are out in the first round again and you know, for whatever reason, Kyle Lowry loses faith in Dwayne Casey or this core, or he has a better situation. Um, it's not a guarantee that he'll stay. I think losing to the Hawks, I, I get what you're saying about how if Lowry, say Lowry gets no regular season games and the entire playoff series is spent trying to figure things out. Um, I get it. I still think no matter the scenario, um, I, I'm assuming the Raptors can't fall as far as six. They're four and a half games up on the Pacers for that spot. I, I don't think they'd fall that far. So yeah, the worst case scenario here is kind of a first round series with the Hawks. Um, I think no matter the circumstances, losing that series would be a, a major step back. The Hawks are not good. Um, their point differential suggests they're nowhere as good as a 34-28 team. They're not a particularly terrible matchup for the Raptors um, with a Paul Millsap, Dwight Howard front court opposite of Baca Valanciunas. Um, both teams, you know, the Raptors can match small with them. Um, they trade away Kyle Korver, who's always been a guy who hurt the Raptors. So I think that would kind of be, you know, no matter the circumstance, barring further injury, a, a bit of a abject failure. Uh, but yeah, anything else, whatever happens in the second round, whatever happens with seeding, uh, there's going to be a lot of context and nuance to evaluating how the Raptors 2016-17 went. And you know who will be there for you in, in that eventuality? The reasonablest. Yeah. I mean, we hope. Maybe. Maybe we won't. That's see, that's the big thing that hangs over a potential first round playoff exit too. Is that that's a lot of that's a lot of money off my, that's a lot of money out of my pocket. Yeah. The longer the Raptors go, I get sometimes it's so funny. I get people who like comment or, or on Twitter sometimes who like make it seem like I don't care if the Raptors do well or like, like my my income is tied to this team. Your income mm. is tied. Well, maybe less than me, but less you know, so. But... We all benefit. High tide. Rises all boats, or whatever yeah, that saying is. Uh, we are um, naturally biased because capitalism. Yeah, also because we're humans. Ugh, don't remind me. Yeah. Um, 
All right, Eric, do you have uh, any other thoughts before we let you go? You, we, we've got three games before we next talk, maybe four, because uh, the Raptors return home Monday for Dallas. So maybe we'll just record after that one at the Air Canada Centre or something. Because um, why wouldn't I want to stay there longer? It's a doubleheader that day, the 905 are at the Air Canada Centre too. <laughs> um, so uh, at New Orleans, at Atlanta, at Miami, uh, feeling for the weekend, any parting shots for the listeners? Um, I'm really excited to see... Boogie and Anthony Davis up close. I think uh, I really haven't got the chance to see them much yet on TV, so to see them in person is going to be nice. If Carroll is out, uh, you know, you really got to focus in on what Norm Powell and P.J. Tucker can do in expanded roles. Uh, Powell has, you know, aside from maybe Friday night's game, has been pretty disappointing so far in uh, picking up the minutes that he had to pick up. And and Tucker, while he's been, you know, very useful and is sort of that garbage uh, garbage man, get things done type of player, he's going to be counted on for, you know, the corner threes, which, again, aren't totally up to him when he gets them. But if he does get them, he's going to, you know, the Raptors are going to need him to make a reasonable percentage of them. Uh, so I think those are, are the things that I would focus on for now, along with what we've talked about. Uh, well, the Valentinus battle on the weekend is going to be uh, uh, crucial for him and crucial for the team. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm mostly, maybe not in the New Orleans game. I mean, the New Orleans game should be great because the Pelicans need to come out hungry. They're three and a half games back of the eighth seed and they're running out of time here. Uh, but the weekend, you know, Valentinus we talk about him probably more than a guy with his role warrants because he's for so long seemed like a swing piece for this team. But that weekend battle with Dwight Howard and Hassan Whiteside, I think that's going to be pretty telling. If he comes out of that looking good, maybe confidence is restored and we can have conversations about, you know, maximizing the rotation as a whole rather than just figuring out Jonas Valanciunas. If he struggles in those two uh, and the confidence still looks low and the Raptors aren't figuring out, that's a, a whole host of questions that'll need to be reasonableized about you know potential playoff rotations and maybe even the starting lineup yeah absolutely so we will talk to you about all that stuff uh next week eric enjoy miami man get out there get the practice but then have some fun i'm gonna try you know how i feel about fun yeah yeah i know how you feel about fun i know how i feel about fun i'd love to we could switch places man you fly back right now uh veto yeah i thought so i thought so so make the most of it then all right i'll try all right, thanks, Eric. See you, bye. If only to be a reasonable man.